719. And now, here's your host, Kevin Conover. Bring your time. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website's educateforlife.org. And if you're watching us streaming, we're down here in local in Southern California. We're on K-Praise, 1210 a.m., also on FM 106.1 in North County. So uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I can tell you, uh, you know, all about my ministry. You've heard it if you've listened before. Um, it's an apologetics curriculum that's meant to help you learn to defend your faith. It's uh, comprehensive. It's systematic. And it's really supposed to help you deal with all the real-world issues that you run into when you're talking to your relatives over the holidays or you're talking to somebody on a club sports team or just some neighbor at work, whatever. It's supposed to help you be able to respond to the the questions and the um, statements that people make about reality and uh, help you understand the Word of God more deeply. So you can check that out, educateforlife.org. Today we have an awesome guest. His name is Dr. James Fazio. He is the Dean of the Bible and Theology Department and Professor of Biblical Studies at Southern California Seminary. You can check them out at socalsem.edu. And um, he has written several books, and a big part of the focus is on the Reformation. And I think a lot of people don't um, understand the huge significance of the Reformation. It's not something you hear pastors talk a lot about. Um, They don't talk very often about dispensationalism, um, not something you hear too often, but something that's critically important to your understanding of the Bible uh, Dr. Fazio, thanks for being on. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, Kevin. I know I've uh, seen you around, and we've crossed our paths quite a bit. I've seen the show, heard the show, and yeah. so yeah, it's kind of neat to be here. It is. I, mm-hmm. I'm really excited to have you, and um, we're right across the street from each other, which is kind of funny. So That's right, yeah. yeah. No, but in, it, in fact, I'll tell you one, one more thing. Um, you know, I, a lot of times in the evenings when I've got my students, I'm, I'm teaching in your classroom. So. Oh, look at that. <laughs> I've, I've wondered why there's so much... You know, like uh, candy wrappers and stuff <laughs> right. in there, and now I know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, so uh, you wrote uh, this book, Two Commissions. I think this is really interesting. I don't think I've ever heard a book that's focused on this subject in particular. Mm. And then, um, of course, uh, Forged from Reformation, mm-hmm. which uh, Corey Marsh was on quite a while ago talking mm-hmm. about that. Um, so why is it that pastors don't typically talk about uh, dispensationalism when it's a, a subject that really affects the way, the lens through which you read the scriptures. Yeah. Why isn't that something that comes up more often in our, in our you know, Sunday services? Yeah. Well, for one, it's theology. And I think pastors like to avoid theology and keep it as simple as possible. Yeah. Um, theology and doctrine just tends to turn a lot of people off. Yeah. And, and for those that like it, they usually know where to get that itch scratched. Mm. You know, they've got their their radio personalities or their books or whatever they, where they go to for it. Yeah. And so a lot of pastors like to be a lot more practical and deal with real life issues and just uh, try to meet people immediately in the day to day kind of stuff. And so they tend to avoid that also because it's kind of divisive. I mean, everybody has an opinion on it Mm. and, um, and whether they really know, you know, often there's not a lot of knowledge about it, but there's, there's enough, you know, based on what somebody else said, or they they've heard they don't like it, or somebody doesn't like it, or they've yeah. got a perspective on eschatology, the end times, how that's going to play out. You know, a left behind theology, or a, a kingdom now. You know, a millennial theology, yeah. or whatever it is. You know that, that, and and so based on just different uh, exposure that they've had, they tend to just shy away from a lot of of yeah. theological issues. Some people take it very personally and get all heated about it, but I think it's worth talking about and worth knowing about. Um, I find this really interesting. I kind of want to start with this because I think it's a good segue into the whole issue. Mm. Um, you wrote this book called Two Commissions. For those of you who watch in here, you can, you can check it out here. It's called Two Commissions. 
uh, two missionary mandates in Matthew's gospel. Mm. And, uh, you know, we think of the Great Commission, uh, Matthew chapter 28. Yeah. But um, explain what you mean when, by the title of this book, Two right. Commissions, for our listeners. Yeah, and that's it. I, I, I think there are probably very few Christians that are unfamiliar with the Great Commission. They know where to find it, Matthew 28. Um, they, they know what it sounds like. Many of them might even have it memorized. Uh, and so the point of the title is to sort of get your attention that it's not the only commission that appears in Matthew's gospel. There mm. is a commission that Jesus gave while he was on earth that sounded quite different than the commission he gave after he had uh, risen from, from the grave. Yeah. And that commission appears very clearly, very vividly in plain text, as clear as Matthew 28's commission, Matthew chapter 10. And in fact, whereas uh, with the same degree of clarity that, you know, go ye into all the world and proclaim to all nations and so on and so forth, in Matthew 10, you have a very, the same pattern. But it says, do not go the way of the Gentiles. That's how it starts. Mm. Do not go the way of the Gentiles. So it's actually not saying go into the ends of the earth. It's saying only go to this very narrow segment of people. Yeah. And then it says what to say. Instead of saying, teaching them all things I have commanded you and so on and so forth, he says, tell them repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a very narrow message as well. And in fact, we see when when we see Matthew's presentation of of, of, of the gospel, he begins very early on in the early chapters of that gospel, he begins with John the Baptist's presentation. Yeah. Okay. Which was preaching in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what we see is that Jesus is preaching, the nature and the character of Jesus' preaching, and it's not just there in Matthew 10, it is entirely consistent with his entire three and a half years of ministry. Mm. Because we have entire sermons that Jesus preached, Matthew 5 through 7, give us the, you know, the, the most detailed sermon yeah. uh, of Jesus, and it's it, it goes into everything he said, and guess what? You don't see the language that every Christian preacher would, you know, John 3.16 yeah. is not contained in Matthew 5 through 7. Yeah. So there is a, a content difference in preaching uh, throughout Jesus's ministry and throughout the ministries of the apostles afterwards. And that contrast, uh, it, it's not because the apostles were being disobedient or were being out of sync with Jesus's. In fact, it was co- completely in line with what Jesus commanded them to do. The Great Commission mm. was go unto the ends of the earth and preach this message. And, and of course, we see at Pentecost, we see Peter preaching a message, and we see carried on from, from Peter onward throughout the book of Acts. And as Paul gets a hold of it and starts preaching, we see the character and the content of their message. And it is effectively the message that we preach, that Christ died for our sins was buried, was resurrected, he is ascended, and, and you know, the, yeah. the, 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 the very gospel that we preach today is the gospel that the early church, beginning with the disciples, were sent out to preach. So getting back to the two commissions, what Jesus preached his whole life, the very message which he sent them out to preach while he was on earth was of a very different character than what we see from Acts and onward through today for 2,000 years. Yeah, and this can be a, a little bit, um, can kind of uh, make somebody kind of feel like, whoa, what's happening here? You mm-hmm. know, it can be kind of uh, astonishing to somebody when they begin to look at the words of Jesus Christ and they look at the words of, say, uh, the Apostle Paul, mm-hmm. uh, and you see one that says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, believe in your heart that God raised from the dead and you'll be saved. Mm-hmm. But then you look over here and he's saying things like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
and you go, wait a second, what's going on here? Yeah. And this is where the whole um, idea of dispensationalism comes into play mm -hmm. because once you un begin to understand that, it be uh, the pieces start to begin to fall together. So Absolutely. for our listeners, because a lot of people have no idea what dispensationalism is, can you ex give a, a breakdown of what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and of course, you know, it's, it's the theology that's been presented most often through charts visually, right? You know, in other words, charting through history. Yeah. And it's not incorrect at all. In fact, it's very useful. You know, picture, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. So I understand that. But, but beyond saying where, where does history divide, it's, it, it, I'd like to, to take it down to a much more base level and just say it is simply understanding. In fact, I'd even, I'd even begin with the verses of Hebrews, which say, God who in time past spoke to the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us through his son, Jesus Christ. Mm. So the issue is God has operated differently with man throughout time. Mm. Now, I just want to begin at that most fundamental level. Yeah. And, 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 you know, before we start saying how many dispensations and what yeah. is the difference between this and that, look, let's just start with this. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and he gave them a diet. He said, eat this, don't eat that. Yeah. And when we look at that diet, we see it was a diet that consisted of fruits and vegetables, nuts, and only that which grew on plants. Yeah. We would call that a vegan diet. Yeah. Doesn't seem like it even included honey or any animal byproduct, right? Yeah. So again, we'd call it like straight vegan is what he gave them, yeah. right? Well, we know a little later, Noah steps off the ark and he says, now all the animals are for you to eat. Basically, just everything you want, you can eat. It's all on board. Yeah. Until a little bit later, the days of Israel, and God tells Israel, you have a specific diet. Now yeah. you're still allowed to eat meat, but not this meat. And if it has... If it's this kind of animal and it has a split hoof and it chews the cut and now all of a sudden there's all this great detail with sea, you know, the 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 sea creatures and shellfish and you yeah. know what you can eat and what you can't and and you say, whoa, this just got way complex, yeah. right? And and then for you know you've got that that goes for for over a thousand years and then you have this remarkable occurrence with Peter who had kept that diet throughout his from his youth and Jesus tells him, arise, Peter, kill and eat when he saw every four-footed beast. Yeah. And he said, no, no, not, not me, Lord, because you know, no unclean thing passes through these lips. I'm a good Jew, as you've told me. And yet God is saying, you can eat all things. Now, how many diets did God give, <laughs> right? Just right there, we've counted four diets and every single one of them was given directly by the mouth of God. It wasn't mm. like weirdly interpreted. They didn't mm. misunderstand it. God gave different diets at different times. Now, I would also say in different dispensations. In other words, it's recognizing that each of these diets is indicative of an entire lifestyle, an entire walk that man was to have before God mm. that, that was, that was uh, uh, quite substantially different in some ways. Not yeah. in every way, but the diet itself is a reflection of the fact that God is relating to man differently throughout times. We all recognize that God related differently to man before yeah. and after the fall in the garden. Yeah, nobody's going to argue with that. I mean, no. that's plain as day. So. And we would also recognize that God dealt differently with man before and after the flood. That dietary is only one indication. God also instituted human government, whereas Cain kills his own brother, and God says, I will set a mark on you to make sure that nobody avenges his death, mm. right? You know, you, yeah. you will not be killed for killing, and yet with Noah, when violence had abounded in the way it was in the day, on the earth in that time, God says... From this point forward, if anyone takes a life, his life shall be taken. God preserved Cain mm. for taking a life, and now God is saying, 
if a man takes a life, the man's blood shall be taken. Yeah. So, it's, you know, we, we, could, we could look at before Israel, after Israel. We could look at before the cross, after the cross. I think every so, Christian recognizes so that. So something pops into my head that I hear often as an apologist is you'll hear people say, the God of the Old Testament is a different God from the God of the New Testament. Right. And you hear this as a complaint frequently that the God of the Old Testament is full of wrath and violence and uh, the God of the New Testament is loving and, you know, died on the cross Absolutely, for our sins. Yeah. So how do you respond to, to somebody from that? From what, what does that mean for dispensationalism when you're talking about that? Are you talking like the way to be saved in the Old Testament was different than the way to be saved in the New Testament? Right. So the first thing is, is to recognize that there is discontinuity, you know, to use kind of that, that, that phrase or to say that there is a, a difference. There is a distinction. Not just because there's a, a distinction. Yeah. It doesn't mean everything is completely different. It just means there are distinctions that f- to be recognized. Yeah. You know. Um. And and yet there are a tremendous amount of similarities. There is continuity as well as discontinuity. Mm. And and that's that's really the the main issue is to realize what has remained constant, and what has changed. And, you know, it's quite irresponsible to suggest nothing has changed because anybody can look at it and say, there's certainly some changes here. So the point is simply saying, focusing in on what is it that has changed here. Yeah. And that is the dispensational perspective. Not not to say salvation has changed or man has been saved by different means throughout time that God, you know, now saves by grace through faith, but previously he saved, you know, in another way. Yeah. The focus in dispensationalism is realizing what it is that God demands of man. Now, first of all, let's be clear about it. We know the gospel. The gospel is not that God demands something of man. The gospel is that God has done something for man. Mm. And it is by faith that we are saved. Mm. Okay. It was by faith that Abraham was justified, yeah. not because Abraham did an act. Mm-hmm. Okay. Man has never been saved by works. Yeah. And so therefore, Dispensationalism is, is exactly, yeah. exactly. So so we're coming up on a break here, but I want to kind of throw this out there beforehand, um, which is I want to ask you, you know, why is this such an important subject to be aware of? Um, how does it change the way you think and act and live out your Christianity from a practical standpoint? Why is this understanding of dispensationalism, uh, what, is it, what does it open up for uh, our listener who's, thinking to themselves, well, how is this going to change the way I read the Bible? Does mm-hmm. that make sense what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to be right back. Uh, my guest today is Dr. James Fazio. He is the Dean uh, of Bible and Theology at Southern California Seminary. If you want to dig a little bit deeper in your walk with God, you can check it out, socalsem.edu, and um, really get, uh, down. there's some fantastic professors out there who can really help you understand the Word of God and uh, really allow it to speak to you what it has to say so that you can really um, begin to live out your Christianity uh, in truth rather than kind of blindly hoping that you're, you're doing the right thing. So um, stay with us. We're going to be right back. Save money by taking good care of your car. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside. 
Locally owned and operated since 1991 with all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers at conoverretires.com. Dan and his team are proud to support Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. They even sell affordable, reliable used cars and enclosed trailers. Conover Tires, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard, 760-439-1631. Educate for Life helps you build your life on the rock. LG Equipment helps builders build on good soil. Luke Gibson's team at LG Equipment is your local source for grading, demolition, hauling, and more. Learn about their bulk water services from trucks to tankers to towers at rentwatertower.com. Get your questions answered. Call LG Equipment at 619-988-0924. Learn more at lgequipment.com. 619-988-0924. Hey, thanks for being with us today. This is Educate for Life Radio. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My guest today is Dr. James Fazio, and uh, he is the Dean of Bible and Theology over at Southern California Seminary. You can check him out at socalsem.edu. You guys know my website. You should by now if you've been listening for any amount of time. It's educateforlife.org, and uh, I've been teaching apologetics for 12 years at Christian high schools. I teach 12th grade students and help them learn how to defend their faith, but it's really applicable to all ages, honestly. Uh, I, I preach at churches sometimes, and a lot of the a lot of the adults say, "Oh man, this is so great! You teach it at a level I can understand." So um, hopefully, uh, you can check that out sometime and and enjoy it. And uh, we've got free previews up there for you too. It's a, a really big help to anybody um, wanting to teach a Bible study or a, a homeschool co-op or anything like that. So check it out when you get a chance. So uh, Dr. Fazio, we we were um, just talking about you know. Um, how this book, The Two Commissions, um, really shows us that Jesus Christ was at the crux of one of the the changes in the dispensations. And so that's why there's this difference in the Gospel of Matthew, and then you get over to Paul, and it almost seems like they're preaching two separate messages, but in fact, they're not. It just has to do with the dis- dispensation. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, um, however one re- re- reacts or responds to that word, uh, some get get you know very annoyed by it or or very antsy and say oh no that's just absolutely you know nothing I want anything to do with yeah and yet uh, I would say Christians of all stripes uh, would would agree that there is absolutely a difference between how man was supposed to live before and after the cross um, if we are not carrying an animal to the altar and and of course God removed Israel's ability to do that in seventy yeah. A D so he basically said look. You know, not only have I have I changed the dispensation here, but I'm not even permitting you to continue on in that dispensation. You know, the book of Hebrews was was so strong about look, you can't go back and do this anymore. Once you've tasted, yeah. you know, this new life in Christ, you you can't just return to that the the sacrificial system. Mm-hmm. We have the sacrifice that was made once for all. So the blood of bulls and of goats, you know, can't take away sins. You have to just keep repeating it. But once you've accepted Christ, you go on in Christ mm. and. That's the only gospel we've known. I mean, we being Gentiles, you know, yeah. Ephesians speaks to us. We who were, you know, dead in our trespasses and sins, that's who we were, aliens from the commonwealth of Christ, right? We're the ones who have been been made alive. We've been brought into a, a, a participation with the glorious gospel. So for us, we only know this new life in mm. Christ. Uh, 
but you could imagine the challenge it must have been for the Hebrews when when the, the author of the Hebrews was having to address his people and say, listen, this is how our forefathers yeah. dealt with God, but we have a different walk. Yeah. And, you know, so again, it's one of those things, just recognizing that distinction in itself. I mean, again, I'll, I'll give you a very basic distinction, a dispensational distinction. Dispensationalists realize the difference between these three peoples, if you will, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Church of God. Now, these these are three terms which are very clearly used. Paul uses, give no offense either to the Jews nor to the Greeks nor to the Church of God, right? These are three different people groups, Mm. and the Jewish people were obviously a called-out people. They were called out from all the rest of the people, all the rest, the remainder being Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean God loved the Jews and despised the Gentiles. In fact, we have entire books of the Bible dedicated to Jonah comes to mind where he sends a prophet of Israel to Nineveh, a Gentile people. And he says, you know, preach repentance to them. And of course, the whole reason why Jonah doesn't want to is because they're they're Gentiles, right? They don't deserve repentance. And of course, God will have mercy and compassion on whom he will have compassion. So the the point is there are obviously these distinctions and 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 we need to recognize those distinctions when we consider these different things of how God was dealing with Israel at that time and how God is dealing with 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 Gentiles. So we all, everybody who's saved right now, I mean, if we're not of Jewish descent, you know, and we're certainly not coming out of Judaism. Yeah. So we have a a very different perspective than the first century Jew, which is who the entire New Testament was aimed at, right? It was aimed at the first century Jew. Yeah entirely different perspective. It's even one of the reasons why the book of Hebrews reads in a very different character than all the epistles that Paul wrote to Gentile, you know, whether Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, mm-hmm. wherever they're Gentile backgrounds. Right? Yeah. He was the apostle People with no Jewish heritage. So Hebrews is very different in character because it's speaking to people who passed out of that dispensation as the people of God and into this dispensation as the people of God. Mm. There's tremendous continuity there because they have crossed over, and you, you look at the disciples, each one of them Jewish, they crossed over from being the people of God into being this people of God from the household of faith to the household of faith, but that's the household of Israel into the new creation, mm. which is made so abundantly clear in the New Testament, neither Jew nor Greek, but a new creation in Christ Jesus, yeah. right? Entirely different new creation. So again, when we look at it, we really only have this perspective, this born again from a Gentile, dead in our trespasses and sins, now alive to Christ. And so we need to be careful um, about, about just, you know, taking, t- taking this, this, this continuity perspective and, and thinking that it's just always been, you know, reading ourselves into the, the stories of Israel. Yeah. Because, because certainly we share a spiritual heritage, you know, as, as part of the household of, of Abraham, the household of faith, right? Faith like Abraham. Yeah. And yet, Israel's story is not our story. You know, we certainly can learn from it. I mean, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for our life, for our living, so that we can go on into maturity. Yeah. However, making that distinction, understanding that the the, the journey which they traveled is not our journey. Mm. And you know, again, that doesn't mean that in the household of faith, we're not one people. Yeah. But we are neither Jew nor Gentile. We are a new creation. Oh, well, yeah. Right. I mean, he says, I will build my church. Absolutely. Right. And so that's very clear. He hadn't built it till that point mm-hmm. is what Jesus says. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, so 
when it comes to dispensationalism, um, you know, one of the questions that pops up is why would God do it this way? Uh, you know, why would he, what, what is the point? I mean, God is all knowing, uh, he's very wise. Uh, he, he knows what he needs to do. Why would he start everybody off in the garden? Then why would he move it to, you know, right. uh, Moses and the Israelites? And then why would he move it to, uh, the church? Right. What's, what's the whole point of that? I, I, is that yeah. laid out in scripture? Well, you know, it it is. Obviously, the question is answered by theology. It's answered by reading all of Scripture. I mean, it's not—it it, doesn't—we don't have the verse that tells us quite yeah. so simply, except, you know, we, we can glean it a little here and a little there. I'll give you one great one. Um, in Galatians, Paul tells us that the law was a tutor, mm. right, or a schoolmaster. It actually uses a Greek word that means like a pedagogue. It, it, was, it was basically a Greek— um, a tutor. I mean, somebody who you brought in to to teach school your kids that became an all day sort of a babysitter, a complete you know raised the kid in in all their knowledge and instruction until they came into maturity. Mm. So it says the law was a schoolmaster. Some translations say to bring us to Christ until Christ came, and that's the whole point of the book of Galatians, right? Yeah. Now, once we've come to Christ, we no longer are under the schoolmaster, and so. Uh, you know, why do it? Well, anybody who's ever raised a kid, I think, can kind of answer the question of why. I mean, you know, we understand that we develop differently. There are stages of development. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's understood in child raising and in education and, and, and any kind of pedagogy. You need to understand that people need to to be brought along into maturity. And of Absolutely. course, that's always the subject. We just quoted Second Timothy three sixteen of you know yeah. Scripture is to bring us into maturity yeah and the issue is that um it, it's necessary for man not for God because we know with God there is no changing you mm-hmm. know so so why does God change is God changing His mind no 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 in fact one of the best pictures to answer that question I think is is used in that parental relationship that we have I'm a father of four kids and they're different ages mm-hmm. so although I don't have different standards or expectations in terms of what I want. In other words, I want them all to have godly character. I want them to be diligent, to do their work, to obey their parents and so on. You know, we, 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 there are certain things we want of our kids, but how should they live out in obedience is determined by their level of development. Mm. So for instance, going out into the street is an absolute no-no for the little one. But when I ask the older one to take the trash cans down to the street, it necessitates going down to the street, 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 street. Because I've changed my mind about is the street dangerous or isn't it? But it's because based on their level of development as a little child, the street's a no-no. That's a law. Mm. And you don't cross that law. But for the older one, the street is dangerous, but you know how to negotiate it. Mm. And so it really comes down to the, the progressive nature of of God's revelation of himself to his people, yeah. which is throughout time has has changed, not because there's any shadow of turning with God, because God is the same yesterday, t- today, and forever, mm-hmm. but because man has necessarily needed gradual development to get to the yeah. place of maturity. And we need that historical us. context to be able to reflect on what God is doing and, and, and for us to grow and mature. We need to be able to see what God did in the past and then see where he's moving. And that and that's kind where of, scripture is beneficial to all of us, right? Yeah. That's why the whole story of scripture is so important for us. And it's been retained. God has has preserved his word uh, for us for that very reason. And uh, again, we're, we're coming up on a break here, but I want to uh, kind of tease to the, to the next segment, which is, um, I'm very curious, it's interesting, this progressive um, growth of uh, humanity uh, in their understanding of God. 
and and I'm wondering, you know, where we're at currently, and what does that growth look like? We've been through. Uh, we're a lot of people think we're coming to the end of the church age, um, and the question becomes, what's next, and what is God doing in these next things? Because a lot of times we we all, or at least it feels like um, where we're at now is the end all be all of what it means to be a Christian, but yet the future holds so much more that God has in store for us. And I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that. And and uh, so we'll be right back. My guest today is Dr. James Fazio, uh, Dean of Bible and Theology at Southern California Seminary. Stay with us. Uh, we're having a fantastic conversation. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. Six one nine two 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 zero seven sixty six. Save money by taking good care of your car. Call Conover Tires Wheels and Service in Oceanside. Locally owned and operated since 1991 with all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers at ConoverTires.com. Dan and his team are proud to support Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. They even sell affordable, reliable used cars and enclosed trailers. Conover Tires, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard, 760-439-1631. Hey, thanks for staying with us. If you're uh, just joining us, uh, we're having a fantastic conversation. We're down here in Southern California on KPraise, KPRZ, 1210 AM, and FM 106.1 in North County. We're also going to be all over YouTube. We'll be on uh, Facebook. We'll be on uh, my website, educateforlife.org. I've got uh, tons of shows up there with all kinds of people, including people like Kay Arthur. Um, She's a... worldwide ministry she's in her 90s now but done an incredible uh, has an incredible life story and testimony of what christ has done through her i've got people like dr james tor one of the top 50 scientists in the world talking about why evolution doesn't work we've got archaeologists talking about incredible findings demonstrating the validity of the history recorded in the bible all kinds of good stuff for you to listen to and we're having a fantastic discussion right now with dr james fazio of southern california seminary we've been talking about um We've been talking about what's called dispensationalism, and uh, there's a lot of conflict in the church right now, uh, and a lot of people don't know why. It's kind of undercover, and uh, you don't hear that word too often, and so um, it's not something a lot of people think about, and, but it's it's really worth talking about because it has a lot to do with how you read the Bible, a lot with how you understand what God is doing throughout history. And uh, Dr. Fazio, uh, we left off kind of talking about, uh, you know, that... All dispensationalism really is saying is that at different times, God did things differently. I loved how you broke down, you know, the different diets, just Mm -hmm. the way he expected Adam and Eve to eat all, you know, vegan, essentially. Then he tells Noah he can eat anything. Mm -hmm. Then he tells Moses, hey, guys, you can eat a lot of stuff, but you can't eat certain kinds of meat like, you know, uh, the the 
the hoof with the cleft in it mm -hmm. and these things. And then in, in the New Testament, all of a sudden, hey, you can eat everything. And so that just shows us God uh, is acting differently within uh, to help the the, the hum humanity really mm -hmm. um, grow and mature. So I have a ton of questions that I want to cover if we have time, but why don't we start with where are we now in your mind um, with all the current events that are going crazy? A lot of people are like, hey, you know, is is Christ going to be coming back soon? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, people who don't believe in dispensationalism say, no, no, he's not coming back soon. That doesn't even happen. What are you talking about? Yeah. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. um, in the sense that it has been the healthy expectation of the church since Christ ascended into the clouds mm -hmm. that he will return. Yeah. I think whether you're premillennialist, amillennialist, postmillennialist, wherever you are in that spectrum, you are awaiting Christ's second coming. Yeah. So the question is, what is he coming to do? Mm. Now, that's where we're going to have some differences on what it is we think he's coming back to do. Yeah. But hopefully, it is the Christian hope. It is the bedrock of our hope yeah. that he is coming again, and we should be watching and waiting for that. And if yeah. we're not, we have to really wonder if we have departed in some way from Christianity from its very beginning. Yeah. And so um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that there are many Christians that would you know, disparage the idea that Christ is coming again. I yeah. think that is the hope that we're looking for. But um, again, what, what form and what shape does that take is certainly what's hotly debated among Christians. And why is there even that debate? Why does that conflict even exist? I mean, is, there some, is, it, is it unclear in the scriptures? Yeah, the issue, again, it, it gets back to this dispensational perspective on Scripture. Mm -hmm. If we understand these, everything we've discussed so far, that God has worked with Israel for a time, and then he has worked presently, he's working with the church, then what we are anticipating is the completion of God's working with Israel. And I say that because God promised Israel a whole host of covenanted, in fact, with them. A stronger word than a promise. Yeah. God covenanted with Israel their land. I mean, there's been conflict for the last 2,000, more than the last 2,000 years, right, over the land. And he's covenanted with them a new covenant. He would write his law on their hearts. And, you know, so many things that God has said he would do. Mm. The establishment of the Davidic throne, um, the, a, a little-known covenant, the Phineas Covenant, as discusses the establishment of the Levitical priesthood mm. as an enduring priesthood. Um, you know, it, of course, we know the New Covenant. We have these covenants that God has made with Israel that will endure. By the way, the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33, says, Behold, I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It's Israel and Judah. It's not... Israel and the church that he's making that covenant yeah. with, it is, in fact, with the same people. They are the people, as Paul says, they're the people to whom belong the covenants. Mm. It is it, The covenants in the Bible are theirs. They're not ours in the sense of Gentiles. Yeah. They are, they are the covenants that God has entered with Israel. And what we're anticipating then is either that God will be true to his word in the, in, in the, in the way we understand that word is given to Israel, that he will fulfill that word to Israel. Mm. Or with a non-dispensational perspective, we, we can enter into the idea that, that God will fulfill his word to the household of faith then, which was Israel, to the household of faith today, which is the church. Mm. 
And of course, now we're we're dancing very very closely to this idea of replacement theology. Yeah, that would even go so far as to suggest that God has replaced Israel with the church, and so God is therefore justified to fulfill all of His promises and those covenants which He made with Israel, with David, with His descendants, with with the the, the Phineas, with the Levites, mm-hmm. every single covenant that God has made throughout all of history for the land. Yeah, all of the just fulfill them all in Christ in a much more esoteric spiritual way that doesn't demand land, that doesn't demand you know blood, that, that, that doesn't demand any of those issues. Yeah, because we understand we're a heavenly people. We are, right? They were the natural people. We're the heavenly people. Mm. And so if we say, so will God fulfill those covenants in the manner in which the people to whom he gave them understood them, or will he fulfill them in a very different way in which they never could have anticipated? And so basically they were entering into a covenant that they didn't really know what they were walking into. Mm. So Uh, so that's where where I wanted to ask you, so why are you in the camp where – that God is going to fulfill that to the people of Israel mm-hmm. versus, um, you know, why don't you take the other position? You personally, mm-hmm. uh, why do you hold the view that you do? Well, uh, again, uh, my, my reading of the text, if, if I just accept the language of Scripture from the Old Testament and God's calling attention to them and the, the language of the apostles or the language of the prophets, the language of, as I said, Scripture, I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, it makes these distinctions. I mean— to suggest there's no distinction between Israel and the church, we see that distinction is carried all the way to the new Jerusalem mm. in Revelation. Mm-hmm. Okay, At the very end of the story, we have a new Jerusalem. And yet that, that city has gates and pillars. And the fact that we have the names of the apostles on one and the names of the household of Israel on another suggests that a distinction remains. Mm. It's not just all jumbled together. Yeah, The distinction between Israel, the, the, the house of Israel, the tribes of Israel, and the names of the apostles, the fact that that distinction remains even in the New Jerusalem says it is an eternal distinction mm. with God. Yeah. As, as eternal a distinction as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that all three aren't God? No, but it means that a distinction exists. And yeah. Christians have been a people of distinction. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's sort of baked into because we're a people of the book. Because yeah. we read the book and the book and language makes distinctions. Yeah. That it, it's sort of baked into our reading and knowledge of understanding and how we do theology. So how did this originate then, this other idea that, okay, hey, uh, Israel's going away, it's now the church. Where did that come from? Why why did that even develop? That is that is baked early on in history, um, in, in the early church. I mean, these are ideas that that the the from from the earliest sort of emergence of anti-Semitism and the idea that the Gentiles have replaced uh, Israel in the promises of God. Did that this come? Is like did, did that come out of the Reformation, or, or it was no, 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 before no, the no, Reformation? No, I'm talking way, early way. first century. Okay, I mean the conflict. Look, there were issues between the Jews and the Gentiles, which are seen as early as in Galatia. Yeah. Right? It's the, recorded in the Bible. Who's, who's Peter and James sitting with? Yeah. And, and why these people and not with those people? Yeah. And very simply, because they're Gentiles and we're Jews. Yeah. Right? And in the book of Acts, I mean, you know, look, look, the gospel's for all the Gentiles, so that's the issue of the council. What, what are we going to in Acts chapter 15? Yeah. We have to go and James is going to decide, look, this is, yes, the gospel's for the Gentiles. So, but but they still have to observe some of these things so as not to give offense to the Jews, mm. and eventually it becomes an issue. Jews sort of had this expectation, 
in the church when the J- church was predominantly Jewish that they were sort of the, the the first class citizen in the church. Yeah, you know, I mean, they were all, all the the the. Uh, uh, I mean, they were talking were about Jews. they were talking about getting circumcised again and everything and, too, and, and they were sort of putting that on the Gentiles. Yeah. The Gentiles were like, "Wait a minute, wait, this doesn't really add up. I don't think God's <laughs> commanding us to do this." And yeah, was like, "No, this is how you be a good follower of God." And yet, in the last dispensation, it was. Yeah, but in this dispensation, it's not. And of course, if you feel like you're in that privileged position, as the Jews did, because they were already, this was their customs. Yeah. And those customs were given by God. Yeah. They were doing the right thing when they were keeping them, but now they were trying to impose them. As we know, Paul addresses the Judaizers, trying to even uh, sort of afflict the Gentiles with circumcision and those kinds of things. And that's not what God is doing in this dispensation. Yeah. You know, so it's understanding that distinction and and because of that sort of rough, uh, uh, abrasive relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles, eventually the Gentiles were like, you know, that's that's not even, you know, what God's requiring us to do. Yeah. And and before long it became resentment toward the Jews and anti-Semitic and um which the replacement whole replacement yes. theology uh-huh. could come out of. Well you guys uh that are listening, um my guest today is Dr. James Fazio, SoCalSem.edu. He's the Dean of Bible and Theology. Uh if you want to get deep into your faith, really, really dig um into theology and doctrine and these sorts of things. I really encourage you to check it out. You know, the Bible says, watch your life and doctrine closely, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And it matters. Doctrine matters. We can't just wave it away and say, hey, you know, all these divisive arguments, I don't want to be a part of that. These are things that really do matter. They have an impact on how we live out our faith and um, how we read the Word of God. So check it out, SoCalSem.edu. We'll be right back. We have one more segment left. We're going to continue to talk about the Reformation, dispensationalism, and ultimately um, how this impacts us. Stay with us. Luke Gibson of LG Equipment supports Educate for Life. Kevin Conover. Luke grew up in the construction industry and now serves LG's commercial and residential customers throughout Southern California. Whether you need grading, paving, hauling, demolition, on-site bulk water service, water trucks, tankers, and towers, call LG Equipment at 619-998-0924. Learn more at lgequipment.com. 619-998-0924. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. Hey, thanks for listening today. You're on Educate for Life Radio with Kevin Conover. I'm your host. My website's educateforlife.org. Please check it out. There's all kinds of useful information on there. We've got past radio shows, hundreds of them. We've also got tons of classes, 40 online classes you can take covering all kinds of things, including creation and evolution, 
how the Bible was put together, the canonicity of the Bible. Why does God allow suffering, evil, and, and, and why does he send people to hell? Right? All this, these hard questions that people ask on a regular basis, uh, it's meant to help you build a firm foundation for your faith so that you can be a light and a blessing to the people around you. Check it out, educateforlife.org. My guest today is Dr. James Fazio, socalsem.edu. He is the Dean of Bible and Theology there at Southern California Seminary, and we're talking about some really uh, significant subjects. Um, you authored, uh, co-authored uh, Forge from Reformation, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, and then you've got this book, this fantastic book, Two Commissions, which I think is really, really cool. And you, you have a doctorate in ministry. You have a uh, master's in theology, and now you're getting a PhD in history yeah. uh, over in uh, Belfast, Belfast. And so um, I'm just curious from that perspective, um, I wanted our listeners to hear from your own mouth how, why you're pursuing this uh, degree in history mm-hmm. and how it relates to you know everything you're doing currently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm currently uh, finishing up a PhD in history at the Queen's University Belfast in Northern Ireland. Uh, it's uh, it's a secular school. It, they don't have a, a, a religious uh, department, and um, they have a department of Irish studies. That's their history, you know, like we would have American history. Yeah, There's yeah. Irish studies. And, um, and I'm doing it on an Irish figure who was an ecclesiastical churchman. And so my— um, who's, who's that person? And that's John Nelson Darby. Oh. Now, John Nelson Darby is a name that a lot of people associate with dispensationalism. Yeah, you know, yeah. Usually kind of considered the He's like the, my the dad's hero. He's like my dad's hero. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, he, he ends up being more of a mascot or a figurehead. Yeah. Um, uh, very few people really know his theology. Mm. And, um, and, and to the extent they did, they'd probably be pretty shocked. Yeah. Because, you know, um, y- you can't just reverse put, put our theology onto him, yeah. you know. And, and, and that just kind of like what I was saying, the way we read the Bible, right? Yeah. You know, we just can't do that. Um, he, he was a very interesting fellow. And um, uh, it, I'm interested in history and seeing and understanding it in its context, the Bible, or um, you know, more in the sense of a modern church history. So, what are the what are some of the interesting things you've learned about Darby that you didn't know before you started this process? Um, well, you know, Darby is uh, championed has been championed by basically proponents of dispensation, largely because it's repeated from from um, sort of summaries and surveys, historical surveys. That Darby is the, the guy who founded dispensationalism, obviously. That has been, um, we've addressed that in our book, Forge from Reformation. It's been uh, expanded on uh, much more by uh, William Watson, who wrote Dispensationalism Before Darby. Mm. Um, we're actually, uh, SCS Press is releasing another book next year called Discovering Dispensationalism, Tracing the Roots of, his, of Dispensational Thought from the First to the 21st century, oh, wow. showing the development of that. William Watson is one of the contributors That's to that. That's got to be a serious undertaking we've got a lot right there. Of, well, again, like Forge from Reformation, we've got a lot of highly qualified, very serious scholars who are working on this, contributing different chapters in different periods, from uh, you know early church history to medieval times to all the way through to um, you know more recent developments. Obviously, that you've got a lot from about the, the 19th century to the 21st century, a lot of developments in dispensationalism. Yeah. But the, the point is, it's it, it didn't just land on the map in the early 1800s, and that's the purpose of doing this research on, on Darby, understanding that even, in fact, in, in his early years, he, he's been credited as the person who sort of dreamt up the pre-trib rapture, and then others have sort of disparagingly said, well, he copied it from another you know author and things like that, a woman at the time, and um, you know a lot of ad hominem attacks usually on that mm. sort of thing. But the issue is... Um, Darby was in fact quite reluctant to the pre-trib rapture. A lot of people don't know that yet because that hasn't been 
uh, publicized. In fact, it's it's very private information that has only in the last couple of years been revealed as notebooks from the very first PowerScort conference, which was the conference that kicked off prophecy conferences outside of Albury. Mm. The Albury conferences were in Scotland. Well, in Ireland, Dublin area, outside of Dublin and Enniskerry, was the uh, Lady PowerScort who was known for her palatial estate, and she opened the estate to um, the clergymen at the time in Ireland, and they started having these prophecy conferences starting in 1831. Oh, wow. Well, that's where the preacher of rapture is usually pointed to as, you know, Darby initiated it. In fact, we know now um, that's not the case at all. Darby was reluctant to the preacher of rapture when it first came out, and he was he was the one actually arguing against it. So, um did he end up come? Uh, he absolutely uh, became convinced of it. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. And and so so in in the next couple of years he ended up being the loudest advocate, which is why he's now sort of credited as oh he's the one who came up with it. I well, got gotcha. you. Well. Okay. So yeah, and there is kind of a heated debate right now in the church. Um, I don't know why it's risen to the the surface recently. Maybe maybe because people are feeling like you know the end is near. Mm-hmm. But um, you know between a millennial, pre millennial, uh, you know post uh, or. or, or uh, uh, mid trib and all these different things. What, um, you know, where do you, how does this, uh, divvy up? Meaning, you know, what causes the divisions between the people? Cause if you, if you have a bunch of well-meaning Christians come together and they all say, we all believe in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, what is different about their approach to the Bible that's causing these, uh, different views or what, what is it mm-hmm. that's doing that? Yeah. Again, um, it's it's our expectations of what Christ is doing next on this earth. Mm. Uh, according to a, a pre-tribulational dispensational perspective and reading of Scripture, what we're understanding is that all of these things must come to pass. I mean, it's not at all disheartening or discouraging. We've been anticipating it yeah. all along, you yeah. know. Um, uh, so the issue is that, um, and, and by the way, that also doesn't mean, I mean, just about every generation for the last 2,000 years, has anticipated Christ will return in their lifetime. Yeah. The apostles believed it. Yeah. So it's certainly not a wrong thing to believe. You know, um, we're, we're called upon to believe that. Now, we may be wrong because it may not occur in our lifetime. Nevertheless, we are to live as though it may. That's mm. the whole point of the imminence of Christ's return. We are to live as though, I mean, look, you leave the house and you tell the kids, you know, clean up, I could be home at any moment. Yeah. <laughs> What you want is for that house to be clean and for them to be peeking out the window thinking yeah. he could be coming home. I just moment. Ta- I just told my daughter that yesterday. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what you want. That's yeah. that's oh, that's living a life of obedience to say, oh, dad could be home any moment. We need to keep this place clean, yeah. right? Yeah. Not just this. Oh, you know, our dad delays is coming. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> I mean, that's right. that's the whole point of those yeah. parables. You yeah. know, is to understand that that's what he wants. He wants us to live as though he can return at any moment. That's the doctrine of of, of imminence mm. and. The issue is that, yeah, we, we, you know, there are times, it's always been times that, in fact, in the 1830s, you talk about Ireland, that was one of the big pressures that was on them, and they were feeling like conflict between Protestants and Catholics, and mm. of course, many were looking at the Pope as, as, as the Antichrist, you know, so there's always been these different things, whether it's looking at the president as the Antichrist, or whatever it is as the Antichrist, and, you know, the Middle East figure, military figure, whoever it is, you know, somebody's always got this, but, yeah, and, and how we read the headlines shouldn't impact how we read the Bible. Mm. That is to say, you know, reading the newspaper shouldn't change how we interpret Scripture. But understanding the the the, the story of Scripture should really give us a, a, a peace and a hope so that we're not going to be shaken when we read the headlines. Yeah. It's and, not a surprise to us. Yeah, that's the issue. And there's a lot of headlines right now, too. Um, 
you know, with everybody, a lot of people are very concerned and with mm-hmm. COVID and everything, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of like you're in some, you know, left behind book or something. Yeah. But, uh, so what is God doing? You know, when we, when we, when you talk about dispensations, we talked about, um, you, you know, we're living in the church age and a lot of mm-hmm. people think the church age is coming to a close. Um, what's next? And, um, you talked about, I thought this was very interesting. You talked the, about the progressive, essentially education of humanity mm-hmm. that God is training people. And as they reflect on history, they, they can grow through that, uh, and mature. Uh, you know, is that progressive growth going to continue? Is there going to come a time in your mind in the scriptures when, that growth will be complete or is that something that's going to keep going on and on and on? Well, yeah. So we, I mean, we know how the story plays out. Yeah. So when we read revelation, we can see very clearly where we're headed. Um, Christ will return. Uh, Now, again, a pre tribulational pre millennial dispensational perspective on that is that Christ will come and take his church away. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's, the message of of Paul to the Thessalonians is that he will come and take us away in the twinkling of an eye. We will be taken to be with him. We will, when Christ will meet his saints in the air. First Thessalonians, right? 417. That's what we're awaiting right there, the meeting of Christ in the air. Um, And that is for those who look for him, you know? And so in other words, those who await his appearing, that we will, we will meet him in the air. That's the idea of the rapture right there. Uh, And that the dead in Christ will not, uh, you know, uh, uh, in other other words, uh, we both standing living and those who have uh, died will all go to be with Christ. Mm. And then, of course, we anticipate the seven-year tribulation as we read it, in, and, and Revelation makes it very clear as it talks about the great tribulation. It doesn't say seven years. It says, but it says in, in multiple ways, the number of days, the number of months, and the times, time, and half a time, that it is three and a half years yeah. of great tribulation. There's yeah. no doubt about that. There's no yeah. ambiguity that that second half of the tribulation, which is talked about in Daniel in this in the seventh week the seven years yeah the the that 70th week uh that period of seven years that we are waiting for in the tribulation is accented it is really punctuated by the three and a half year time of great woes and that's that that message of those earlier chapters in Revelation um which, and is that is that its own dispensation is it that is considered not, no 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 so that's that that's just a seven year period i mean it's it's a time unlike any which anybody had ever lived scripture makes it very clear about that mm-hmm. but the idea of a of a seven year dispensation no what you have often between the dispensations is a period of transition mm. and we had it in the flood you know for a whole year the waters were, were on the earth it yeah. didn't immediately pass from one dispensation to the next uh, we talked about Christ's life, his ministry, his death, and 50 days waiting until his ascension, Pentecost being the beginning of the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, so so the idea of times of transition is pretty natural. Okay. And, um, and so we are anticipating the next and final dispensation would be the what Revelation 20 talks about, the thousand-year kingdom of Christ on earth. Yeah. And that's what we're uh, awaiting. So, okay, we're almost out of time here, but I have a question that's kind of uh, a little, kind of a funny question, and uh, it's just an interesting thing I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, when, um, will there be, during the millennial period, what is your view on who is going to be on earth and who's going to be in the New Jerusalem? Will there be be believers and non-believers at the same time, as uh, in your opinion? Uh, On earth? Yes. And in heaven. So, yeah, there will be believers and non-believers on earth. Um, The issue is that, the church will have been raptured 
and we will have, we will be in our new glorified bodies, right? Mm-hmm. So we will be as Christ is. And it's so. But Christ, the new the, the new earth is not here yet. Is that correct? No, that, no? no, that's not the new heavens and new earth. Okay. Once this one is completely destroyed. Okay. You know this. So that so that's the difference between the subject of Revelation twenty and then the subject of Revelation when we get to twenty one and twenty two. So we are looking at a a revived earth which would uh, probably a better term would be a restored earth. That mm-hmm. is when God brings it back to its initial state, its paradisical state. I mean, yeah. in paradise, it, it was, there was nothing but peace on yeah. earth, right? Yeah. We know that. Yeah. The longing of every man's heart out there right now, I mean, Black Lives Matters and everybody who's out there just shouting for, you know, that the, they want justice. Yeah. And it's like one thing that man is, is determined about, and we're just a little divided as to how it's going to come about, yeah. but we all want peace on earth. We want justice. We want everything that accompanies when Christ is seated on his throne. Mm-hmm. Okay. The issue is that Christ is not presently seated on David's throne on earth. Mm. Okay. Ephesians makes it very clear. Christ is seated at the right hand of the father. Okay. But as he was told, sit at my right hand until your enemies are made your footstool. I mean, what we have right now is that we have a, a condition of which the apostles describe. Paul uses this language very clearly when he says this present evil age, and he calls Satan the god of this age. Mm. Now, when did he call this age evil? Mm. It was after Christ was ascended and went to be with the Father. So the church age. Absolutely. What we call the church age, and 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 again, it's just a matter of how we're, how yeah, we're how dividing you it out, what it. we're focusing yeah. on. But yeah. what we're understanding is that when Paul repeatedly in Scripture calls Satan the Prince of the powers of the air, the God of this age, you know, he's speaking at a time that at the very same time when Christ is seated at the right hand of the father, Mm. no debate about that, right? Christ wasn't on the earth at that time. He was ascended into heaven, seated with the father. And Paul calls it, the scripture calls it, God calls it an evil age. That's the age we're living in. Mm. But what we are awaiting is the messianic age when Christ will come and touch down on earth and establish justice on earth. And that's why it's the longing of our hearts. I mean, you know, if we weren't longing for it, I mean, the, the stones would cry out, yeah, we're waiting yeah. for this. Yeah. This th- this is what earth was created for. It's what yeah. we were created for. Everybody wants everything to be fair. Let's make it all fair, right? Right. Well, he will. He <laughs> yeah. will bring justice. And he I mean, will. You know, yeah. the, the question is, will we like it when we get it? <laughs> we know the end of that story, too, because at the end of the millennium, you know, the nations will rage yeah. because they don't want justice. <laughs> In the end, in fact, what they want is a different kind of justice, their own unique brand of justice. And so when Revenge. God actually brings justice in the form of Christ seated on the throne and, and you know, all of us, yes, the lion may lay down with the lamb and we may have peace on earth, but believe me, there'll be an awful lot of resentment toward God because even, you know, Christ, you know, as, as unbelievers say today, well, if, if Jesus came and sat down and was right there in front of me, then I'd believe, well, you know what? We actually know the end of that <laughs> yeah, story. No, you that's won't. That's right. So. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, for those of you listening, my guest today is Dr. James Fazio, SoCalSem.edu. Please, please check it out. Uh, if you're interested in accelerating your education of the Bible and the Word of God, uh, it's a great opportunity. And uh, Dr. Fazio, I just want to thank you a lot for being on Absolutely. that program today. It's been a big blessing. Thanks so, for having me. Um, you can check out his books, too. We've got The Two Commissions, very, very interesting book talking about the life of Christ and the message that Christ gave as well as the message that he told the apostles to give. And then we've also got Forged from Reformation, which is a very, very detailed um, text with tons of different authors on um, both the Reformation and dispensationalism. If you want to dig deep there too, fantastic opportunity. Uh, Looking forward to being with you next week. I hope you have a great weekend and um, stay close to Jesus. And God bless you.
Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Did you miss part of today's program? Don't worry. We're committed to helping you get the info you need. Okay, that was dumb. But for real, visit educateforlife.com for podcasts and video recordings of the show and to sign up for the School of Unshakable Faith. Leave us your comments, compliments, questions, or concerns at 800-243-979.